In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Over the last several weeks here at church, we've been in this season we call Advent, leading up to Christmas time. We've been thinking about this truth that uh, is at the heart of Christmas. It's really at the heart of the whole Bible, at the heart of the, the entire Christian story, which is that God comes to us. In spite of the fact that he made us for a loving relationship with him and we turned away from him and rejected him, he keeps coming after us, keeps pursuing us, keeps coming to us, and all the ways in which he does that point forward to this ultimate uh, story of God coming to us in Christ, coming to us actually as a child born of a virgin and laid in a manger. Tonight, I'm going to spend just a few minutes thinking about this, and here's sort of the summary thought of the fact that God comes to us as a child. It is that he who is great became small so that we who are small can become great. He who is great became small so that we who are small can become great. Who is Jesus? Uh, Luke, in this gospel that we've read this evening, gives us some pretty good hints. He says in chapter 1, verse 32, that he's the son of the Most High. In chapter 1, verse 36, he gives us all this stuff, verse 34, rather, all this, these details about a virgin birth, telling us that, that Jesus has a human mother but no human father, telling us he's a divine person, fully God and fully man. In 136, he calls him the son of God. In 143, we didn't read this part of the story, but Mary goes to see her cousin Elizabeth, who's also pregnant. And as soon as Mary sees Elizabeth, Elizabeth says, you're, you're the mother of my Lord, she calls her. And then we get to chapter 2, verse 11, which I just read, and the angels call him Savior and Messiah and Lord. These are divine titles. Jesus is a divine person. He is God in human flesh, which means that all of the attributes that are true of God are true of Jesus. It means that he's all-powerful. And he can do anything that he wants. It means that he's all present. He's everywhere. It means he's, he's all knowing. There's God never, Jesus never learned something. He's always known everything that there is to know. It means he has absolutely no limits, no pain, no suffering, no weakness. He is, he is pure and utter greatness. And yet, he who is great decided to become small. And he was born. Now, uh, I wonder if, if you were God and you decided to enter into the world that you created, if you were the author and you decided to write yourself into the story, how would you enter? I would enter with a lot of fanfare. 
I would probably send a marching band out ahead of me. I would call a big press conference. It, it would be on all the major TV networks. I would be telling everybody, look how great and awesome I am. But when the Son of God, the, the greatest one imaginable, comes to earth, he, he comes in, in obscurity. And not just in obscurity, but in insignificance and even in scandal. He's born to an unmarried mother. Why does he do this? He, he's not only born insignificant, but he grows up and he develops a little following. But after a while, they all leave him. And eventually he's hanged naked, nailed to a Roman cross. Uh, the, the historical theologian Fleming Rutledge makes the point that, that the point of the Roman cross was to do one thing to its victims. And it was to say, you don't exist. It was to blot their names out of the history books, and it was effective. She demonstrates that until Jesus Christ, of all the thousands of people who were nailed to a Roman cross, we don't know the name of a single one until Jesus. He who was the greatest not only became small, he became the smallest. Why? So that those who are small can become great. Now, there's good news and there's bad news in that statement. First, we have to admit, don't we, that we're small, can we, can we admit that? Can we admit that in and of ourselves, our lives are actually rather insignificant, and even apart from God, we might go as far as to say meaningless. We're weak. We're prone to sickness. We, we require sleep and food in order to be able to function. And in 100 years, we're all going to be gone, and nobody's going to remember anything that we did. We're small. And not only that, we're, we're morally small. We are what the Bible calls sinful, which means that, that God created us for this world of love and we rejected it. We rejected him. We turned away and we became selfish and self-centered and prideful and greedy and envy. We were created, the Bible says, for much more than this. It wasn't supposed to be this way. We were created for life and joy and meaning and significance and purpose in God. But in turning away from him, we turned away from all of that. We turned away from life itself, and we turned to death. But the story of the Bible is that God was not content to leave us in that state. Rather, he wanted us to have what we were created for, which is beauty and joy and meaning and significance and life. And so what did he do? God the Father sent his son into the world to be born of a virgin, to grow up and to live the life that we failed to live and to die the death that we deserve to die so that we could have what he calls eternal life. Probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible is John 3:16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But what does that word eternal mean? It doesn't actually just mean life that lasts forever. Although it does mean that. It's not just about quantity, it's also about quality. It's not just about forever life, but it's about a certain kind of life. What Jesus calls in John chapter 10, abundant life, or the fullest life. The question is, how, how do we get that? If he who was great became small so that we who are small could get that kind of life, how do we get it? And the answer is that we simply have to make room to receive him. When the son of God was born, he, his mom and dad went to a, an inn and there was no room for them. And so he was born among animals and laid in a feeding trough. And the gospel of John chapter one says that he who was the creator of all came to his own, came to the people that he created, but they didn't receive him. They didn't have room for him. 
My question for you is, at the end of this year, you're considering, like, do, is, is my life what I want it to be? Do I have that, that abundant, eternal life that Jesus is talking about? My question is, have you made room for him? And will you make room for him? I hope that you will. The lighting of the Advent candles uh, is a tradition that represents the great themes of Advent, hope and love and joy and peace. And now on Christmas Eve, we light the Christ candle, which is a picture of the reality that Christ has indeed come among us, that he came among us in a human body, and that now, even though he is risen and reigning over all, he is with us by his spirit, and he will come again bodily. And we look forward to that day and long for that day. So here's what we're going to do. In a moment, I'm going to lead us uh, in a reading of an Advent prayer, and we're going to all read that together. And after we do, I'm going to go light the candle, and then a couple folks are going to uh, come up front and light their candles, the little candles that were on your pews when you came in. And as we sing one final song, they're just going to walk up the aisles. And so whoever is sitting in the, in the aisle seat in your pew can lean over and get their candle lit by them and then turn and help everybody else in your pew light their candles. And uh, we will sing one final song, and then I'll come back up and dismiss you. When I do dismiss you, you're welcome to take those candles home with you if you'd like. Uh, if not, you can just leave them on your pews afterward or uh, leave them in the pew in the lobby, and we'll collect those at the end of the evening. Would you stand with me as we read this final prayer? And this is printed in your bulletins. Let's pray this together. O God, who has caused this holy night to shine with the illumination of the true light, grant us, we beseech thee, that as we have known the mystery of that light upon earth, so we may also perfectly enjoy him in heaven where with thee and the Holy Spirit he liveth and reigneth, one God in glory everlasting. Amen.